Welcome back to Relevant Founders, brought to you by Relevant Software. Relevant is an international software development company that designs, builds, and delivers world-class standard products for Fortune 500 companies and promising startups. Today, our next guest on the show is Ken Ruggiero, co-founder and chairman of Asset Funding. If you want to find out how to build an MVP in just 60 days, the merits and pitfalls of outsourcing, and why Ken would choose the hybrid mode, how your team changes with every new addition, and how Ken believes that the culture is the people, and the pain points of maturing your startup, you need to listen to this episode. Listen to this and so much more on Relevant Founders. Today on the show, we've got Ken Ruggiero, CEO and co-founder of Ascent Funding. Ken, Ken, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Good, good. Nice to see you today. Nice to see you. I know it's morning your side, evening my side, so nice and early for you. Um, Ken, what I want to do before we get into the midst of things, okay, I want to know a little bit about who is Ken. Tell me a little bit about you and your personal journey. Yeah, I've been on uh, uh, quite a journey over the, the course of my 30, I guess, 30 plus year career now. And I uh, uh, started in New York as, as an accountant and found my way to San Diego, where Ascent is headquartered now. And found my way into higher education finance, uh, you know, more, more by serendipity than design. And uh, and and the and the founding of Ascent is really the I'd say the culmination of a little bit of a personal journey I went on when I had to work and save my way through a four-year bachelor's program at UMass, and then uh, being a dad of uh, two sons with my wife here in Southern California and seeing, you know, what their options were to go to our state schools here in California and how hard it is to pay for school. And then, and then sitting on a, you know, really a treasure trove of uh, performance data that we thought we could build a business off of. So, mm-hmm. uh, so it's been, it, it's been a journey. I've, I've, uh, I've had a, an amazing set of experiences and I work with an amazing set of people. Let's start right from the beginning. Tell us, tell us a little bit about Ascent and tell us what it is you set out to do. Sure. So uh, Ascent's the third business that uh, myself and the team started since the Great Recession back in 08. And the first business was called Goals, is called Goal Solutions. And it now manages $26 billion of consumer loans, uh, solar home improvement, uh, student loans, medical receivables, credit cards. If an originator or an investor has a, a pool of loans, then Goal Solutions will manage it. They manage all of the ascent loans. Mm-hmm. So we, we started that business in the recession and, uh, and with the idea if we got data and relationships and built technology, we could do a bunch of things we knew and some things we didn't know with it. The first thing we did with it was build an investing business. Uh, so while we were growing the services business, uh, people said, hey, we want to sell you our loans. So we oriented goal investment management to buy loans. And that business is, uh, you know, just launched its first $200 million structured credit fund after using, you know, a lot of the company's own money to make these purchases. So, so we, had, we had access to an enormous amount of data. And in 2015, we got a phone call uh, at, at Goal. And the, it was from a nursing school in Denver. And they said, hey, uh, Sally Mae just left us. They won't, they won't lend to our nurses anymore. We have no lenders for our nurses. Can you guys come in and lend to our nurses? And we didn't have a lending program. We didn't have any tech. We didn't have, we had a bunch of data, but like we, uh, but we had, a, we actually had a Colorado lending license. Mm-hmm. So we're like, wow, yes, we can lend to nurses. So, uh, so we cobbled together a loan program, got it into the market in six weeks and lent to about 
50 nurses going to the Denver School of Nursing. And, uh, and, and that intersected uh, us sitting on another data study that we had gotten hired to do in our services business. Uh, and the, the question we were asked was, uh, hey, you guys, you have all this data you keep bragging about and all this tech. Um, can you build us a, a program for Indiana residents going to Indiana schools? Mm-hmm. And it was a nonprofit in Indiana. They said, can you build us a loan program? Because you guys have done that in your past. So we said, yes. So we got paid to do a research study and we're sitting on $20 billion of uh, student loan performance from 2000 to 2000 and at the time 16. And, uh, and we're like, wow, uh, I wonder what the data says about making student loans. And is there a, a product in here that we could build a business around? Mm-hmm. And I guess since we're talking uh, six, seven years later, the answer is yes. Tell me about the first original MVP. How did that look? Yeah, it was uh, um, it was interesting because uh, we didn't have time to like make the perfect business plan, and uh, and we went with an outsourced model, and we outsourced literally everything. Yeah. Uh, we didn't. It took. Uh, it ultimately took us about a, a fifteen months to build our own loan origination system, and we didn't have fifteen months. We had sixty days to hit wow. the the target for the initial MVP. Uh, so we found a, a tech company that would originate student loans for us. And uh, and we didn't have a servicer at the time like we do mm-hmm. now in the goal business. So we found a servicer that the loans could get loaded onto. And uh, and then we very quickly uh, found outsourced developers uh, that were using offshore developers to, to start to rebuild some of the tech infrastructure. So so the MVP was, you know, we didn't we tried not to overthink it because we're a bunch of data people and a bunch of finance people and a bunch of quants and those types of people. Uh, not a lot of sales and marketing people on the team at the time. And uh, they, we, we did tend to overthink some stuff. Uh, and in some cases, it was a good idea to go a little slower. In other cases, you know, sometimes, especially with credit, if you make loans and everybody pays you back, you don't really learn uh, as much as you could learn if you make loans and people don't pay you back. And uh, and that's the life of credit. And it's you have to accept that on a portfolio basis. So so we we really cobbled together with our relationships and uh, and an infrastructure that requires a lot of compliance, people who we knew and people we could trust to get our first set of products into the market. Okay, let's just go back slightly a little bit. So when you were outsourcing, how how did that work? And what were the challenges working with everything being completely outsourced in such a small amount of time? Yeah, the uh, um, when you outsource, you lose control. Uh, and, and it's a trade-off usually uh, for speed, for access to resources you can't more readily get. Uh, and, and, and I would, you know, sometimes cost, right? So so, so I think I've seen management teams, you know, take all of the benefits of outsourcing and then uh, ignore them and then focus on all of the negatives. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I don't want to I don't want to focus on the negatives. But when we went into outsourcing originations and outsourcing servicing before we went into outsourcing development of originations and servicing, uh, we we knew we had to give up control of our product design to a certain extent because we had to fit into the boxes that were you know pre-existing at the service providers Mm -hmm. so it was a bit of a back solve and then a push right so we had the back solve like this is the product we want this is the product we can have and then you reconcile between uh can i get the vendor to move you know, closer to what I want. And I'm not, am I willing to pay the money mm-hmm. to, to, for the custom development of the system 
to to you know to get what I need. And uh, and so it's a, a delicate balance of you know your triple constraints: time, money, and resources. Right. So uh, so we were balancing time, money, and resources to hit a date. Um, on the on the origination so and the servicing side, at all, is it? I mean, that's a very very short time to build what you were saying in fifteen months. That's crazy. Such yeah. Time. Well, the first one got out in six weeks, and then uh, the next one got out. We we were ready for the the next academic year in in twenty sixteen, and and we did we 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 kept the outsource model while we started to build what we what we knew we wanted from an internal perspective. When you went from like when the company started to grow and it started to develop and you started to build more in-house, did you then start kind of this hybrid kind of um, work between outsourcing and in-house or now is it pretty much all in-house? Because I've seen um, I've seen you've got quite a big team now, quite a big engineering team. Yeah. Yeah. Everything was 100 percent outsourced when we started because, uh, you know, we weren't we weren't technology people. Mm -hmm. We were, you know, finance credit, uh, you know, uh, you know, very, very quantitative analysis. And we didn't have a CTO at the time. So we basically found an outsourced CTO model and had the outsourced CTO uh, bring in uh, the, the, the first origination system that we built was built with, uh, with a contract manufacturer, a contract developer mm -hmm. who had an, uh, a guy in San Diego and had all offshore resources uh, from a software development perspective and had a team of about six or seven people uh, that included some project management and quality people building our first origination system. Mm -hmm. We've since insourced all of that. So, so, uh, so on our origination system, all of that is done uh, onshore. Mm -hmm. Other, we, we've got another uh, set of systems that are all offshore. So, uh, so we've we've got we've got both models now running in our 125 person company. And how does that work for you, the hybrid model? model? How, how is that working out? You, at the beginning, obviously, we were saying about there are negatives if it's completely one way and you're throwing it to them and you're saying, please make this. In a hybrid, how is it working for you? Are you able to find that middle line where it's working perfectly or is it still sometimes there's difficulties? Yeah, we're, we're all of four months into the hybrid model. Oh, we, okay. we, uh, we, we've been 100, we were first, we were 100% uh, outsourced offshore. Then we were 100 percent, and I don't know if you find this normal with your, you know, some of your CEOs and startups. Then we went 100 percent onshore, uh, and then the pandemic hit, and we couldn't hire uh, people in San Diego at any kind of a reasonable rate, uh, rate defined as time and money, mm -hmm. right? So we were struggling. So even our on, you know, our, our onshore resources aren't all located in San Diego. We have developers in uh, Arizona, in LA, in uh, I think we've got one in Kansas now, one in Wisconsin. So, so we've, we, we started just saying, hey, we just need to hire people who want to go on this journey with us, regardless of where they are, because we're really not even, our developers really don't even want to go into downtown San Diego office, mm -hmm. even though some of them could walk there. They just like working from home now. So we just leaned into that. So, so about four months ago, we, we did an aqua hire of an of a ed tech firm. And the CTO that I brought over in that transaction has been working with uh, developers in Belgrade for the last five, six years. Okay. So, so we, we've got about a dozen uh, developers in Belgrade right now working on our student success systems mm -hmm. and uh, one of our web properties that we've acquired. Nice. When you were looking for your CTO, obviously 
big challenge, especially in the market right now, very saturated, as, as I say, pretty much every time I'm, I'm doing these um, conversations with people, but it is, it's so saturated. How did you find yours and what were your requirements in, in a world where it's so difficult to find not just a company fit, but one that fits all the, um, all the boxes, basically? Yeah, I think uh, I, I I definitely let uh, the the gods of fate, um, you know, steer me to 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 that answer in in part because uh, at Ascent we realized that you needed more than just money to succeed if you if you lacked you know financial resources and family or community support resources. Mm -hmm. So in December of last year we launched our student success platform and the Ascent Connect platform uh, helps students with self care with job preparation, with academic health, and with financial wellness. So we've got four areas that we have both assessments and, uh, and, and, and tools for students to use. And then those students can escalate through multi-channel means, whether it's email, text, chat, or video, uh, to, to on-staff coaches, career coaches, oh. and financial aid coaches who are, who are designed to help students with their struggles. So we've married student support to student finance. We're the only ones in the country to do that. When we started that journey down that ed tech platform, we found a company that had these, these types of tools. And at that company was the CTO. So, uh, so we had initially licensed that platform uh, from a, a very small ed tech company. And then we hired the people who had built that platform into the company uh, and, and, and ultimately contracted back with that company to, to, to do what's called a leased employee relationship uh, so those those uh, developers in Belgrade were were leasing them through a uh, through a third party, uh, but we interview them all. We we have them on our monthly uh, all hands meetings. Uh, you know we 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 treat them like they're employees of the company, even though they're clearly uh, the the legal employees of a third party. You said obviously the difficulties um, when you. So many tech guys, sorry, sorry, so many data guys, you know, so many data guys, data brains, data way of thinking at things and changing and transforming into kind of the tech industry. What were the challenges that came with that personally for you? What, what did you have to do for yourself to be able to um, adapt uh, to this new way of, of working, I guess? Yeah, remember I remember I mentioned that you know the traditional triple constraints. Uh, as as a CEO, when you're when you're small and there's only a dozen of you and you have an idea and you've got access to a developer, you can prototype stuff, get it into market, test it, and get mm -hmm. the feedback loop working, and then fix it. Mm -hmm. uh, what I've learned with uh, you know the when you, when you're taking in you know literally billions of dollars of requests for for loans. Uh, you can't really just change things quickly, right? There's, there's a one, there's people, uh, two, there's processes and then three, there's partners, right? So the, the, the people are like, everyone's got a full plate already. They all have their corporate, they have their individual goals. We've got our team goals and, uh, they're all working and I can't just drop in a new idea or a new functionality that we want to test like I used to. So I've had to, I've had to slow down. Uh, and, and recognize that the, you know, the echo that used to just go to like kind of one person and back now echoes, you know, my, my ideas that I, I want to have someone test or, or work on echo, you know, into, you know, two and then four and then six different, you know, sets of people, if not groups of people. So, um, so I've had to recalibrate my definition of speed mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that's been hard just to, just to be clear I, I i liked when we were just 20 people and we could you know change you know wake up one day and say let's change the gpa requirement and then you know tomorrow the gpa requirement was changed mm -hmm. and uh 
And now there's a process we have to go through. We have to get sign off from our partners. We've got uh, we've got hundreds of marketing partners. So you've got to populate your changes through hundreds of your marketing partners. So um, so I think that's the biggest the, the biggest frustration, but also the biggest uh, maturity point for mm-hmm. an organization is you you sacrifice speed once you start to get to certain levels of scale. What are you sitting at now? Numbers um, for how many staff have you got now working for you? Obviously, you're saying we've 20, got uh, including contract. Including the contract uh, resources in Belgrade, we've got 120 employees oh, and wow. leased employees. So, uh, and and about um, just about half of them are here in the greater San Diego area, and mm-hmm. the other half are spread from Austin to Portland to Belgrade. Uh-huh. And was the um, was the build of the, like the the so you, we were at 20 for, for a while, yes? You were at 20 for a while. How quick was the build up to 120? Or was it a slow kind of climb? Yeah, it was, uh, um, so so Ascent was, you know, going back to the origin story, Ascent was self-funded uh, mm-hmm. inside of the gold businesses. So we took $15 million of the profits we were making from a services business and an investing business and poured the first $15 million of capital into an idea. And, uh, and, and so I, I don't have that origin story that says, you know, Hey, I ran around Silicon Valley and I showed my nine page PowerPoint to a guy or a gal who loved it and gave me a couple million of seed. Like, like we gave ourselves the quote, couple million of seed. And then we gave ourselves a couple more million because when you're doing student loans, uh, unlike a lot of other tech, uh, you know, ideas, the, the feedback loop of what you built is very long. These are 10 year loans. We do 70% of our lending in eight weeks of the summer. And then we wait for the student to graduate and uh, or separate from school. So, so all of the feedback loops, you have to design very long, like very long feedback loops uh, in order to, to just stay, you know, kind of stay relevant and stay innovative for the next season. So, so we stayed very small until we raised our series A and, and our series A round was raised in April of 2020. So I don't know what you were doing in April of 2020. Uh, If you were, I'm pretty sure you were locked inside of some building or house. Uh, We we were closing our, our, uh, our first $15 million uh, institutional round. So the the answer to your question is we were, we were about 40 employees pre pandemic. And during the last two years uh, through the completion of our series A and the completion of our series B round in March of this year, we, we've really gone on that ramp of, uh, you know, we, we went from, uh, about about 40 employees, I think was the number pre-pandemic to 80 uh, a year later. And now, you know, we've grown again to about 120 uh, another year later into the pandemic. Yeah, tell me about the challenges that come with that, because I've seen that you were, you were, you've won awards basically for your team. You know, so you've won awards for your team, best place to work. How have you kept this um, kind of closeness and understanding and the same mission out of all of your employees from growing from 40 to 80 to 120, it's three different stages. How have you managed to do that? Because that was 2021, I think you won that award. Um, and that was yeah. the 40 new employees. What were the challenges that came with that? How did you do it? Yeah, we, we, I've always believed, you know, the, the foundation of a successful business is its culture. And, uh, and, and the culture is, is it's, it's started by the founders, right? It's, it's, it's you know, I, as the CEO, uh, I am, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to be, and I am the, you know, hopefully the true north of, of the culture of the business, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not the entire, uh, I can't be right with 120 people. Every time I say this all the time, every time you add a single employee to your company, 
you are changing the culture, right? Like, and people are like, well, no, 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 if it's a strong culture, I'm like, no, 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 the, the culture is the people and everyone shows up with different views, different backgrounds, different uh, curiosities, different anxieties, and all of that, people show up to work with all of that. And now that you're in people's houses, they're like, it's even it, the, 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 the chamber has gotten even larger, right? Because uh, other people are paying attention to what our employees are doing and what they're not doing and when they're doing it. So we've got other views that are influencing our culture. Uh, so, so what, so we, we've put a lot of work into onboarding our employees. Uh, so it starts with the interview process and anyone who tells you that, you know, culture and, and, and finding good fits uh, starts once you hire people, uh, they're, they're missing a, a critical element because uh, it, it really starts when the HR person calls or your recruiter calls or there's first set of interviews, you're signaling to the labor market, this is who we are. This is how we approach strangers. This is how we approach each other. And, uh, and, and you're immediately creating a, a brand view in that candidate's mind about what does this company stand for? And, uh, and, 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 and so we, you know, we do interview, uh, we have panels of interview. We've got a culture committee at, at Ascent and the culture committee is made up of you know, anyone who wants to join it, but you have to be nominated and you, you've got you've to wanna put the time in. So someone from the culture committee has an interview that and they can't be in the same group hiring. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they interview the person and say, hey, you can ask me any question about the company, about the management team, about the company culture, about our pay practices. And, uh, and, so, and so we take that feedback loop from the culture committee. And thanks to the culture committee, we've rolled out so many employee benefit programs because like they, we're like, hey, what do the employees need? Not, not what does management think the employees need? What do the employees think? So, so we, I sit down on a monthly basis with the culture committee. They sit down on a monthly basis with uh, the HR group and they just give feedback and, and we prototype new programs with them. One of the, one of the programs that came out, uh, we have unlimited PTO. So we're like, hey, we want you to take vacation. Uh, and, uh, and, and the, you know, nobody was taking vacation during the pandemic or they were and they were feeling guilty because everyone was working a bunch. Uh, so, so we're like, Hey, what if we gave everyone like their birthday off uh -huh. and, you know, like, and, and, uh, and, 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 the, the, and, and so the culture committee was like, that's a brilliant idea. Let's, let's do it. And we're like, really, that's a brilliant idea. <laughs> like, I think we have like a hundred percent compliance. Now you have a company that's, that promotes wellness that says you can take, uh, you know, schedule with your manager, take as much time off as you need within, within reason, obviously. And, uh, and, but no one would take their birthday off. We have a hundred percent of the people taking their birthday off now, uh -huh. and uh, and you see it you see it show up on the calendar. It says uh, birthday PTO, right? Paid time off. So, uh -huh. uh, so, so these are the types. So, so when it comes down to growth, it starts with the interview process. It starts with your pay practices. It continues with your goal setting and your onboarding, and uh, and then it then it goes continuous messaging. So. Uh, so, so what, what does continuous messaging look like? It's not putting your values and your mission and vision statement on your website and on your internet, right? Like that's, those are table stakes. Yeah. You got to put them there. Mm -hmm. What, what we do is, uh, on a, on a monthly basis, we celebrate anniversaries. Mm -hmm. So every, every month the manager gets up and celebrates, uh, one of the five core values of the business that was exhibited by their, their, their partner, their colleague over the last year. So now we've got a number of really good things. One, we've got you know people in engineering who don't like public speaking really getting prepared to present and celebrate the one year anniversary of, right? 
we've got that same manager, not the CEO barking out what the values are, not the HR department putting posters in the office, right? Uh, we've got the, the head of engineering or the, the head of QA talking about a QA analyst and what value they showed inside of the work product. And now the whole company, right? Everyone logs on to this because we can do it through Zoom so easily now. And everyone on the, co on the company is hearing the value, how it's been applied in work and is celebrating what someone actually does for a living, which a lot of people don't know. Like, I don't know what they do over there. Mm -hmm. You don't hear, I don't know what they do over there at Ascent. Tell me um, what... You personally, okay, so you personally, you've, uh, I've seen that you've moved around a little bit. Yeah, there's been some different areas that you've stayed in the States. What have been the biggest challenges from going from one state to another? Have there been many challenges personally with, the, with your businesses that you've had, how people operate differently, how they approach things differently? What have you experienced? Yeah, it's, uh, I, I moved uh, several decades ago. I moved from the New Jersey, New York area to San Diego. And, and uh, the East Coast uh, is very, very different than the West Coast uh, to include the waters on the other side. So you get a little bit disoriented. But uh, um, no, I mean, uh, the, the, the economy, the political landscape, the, uh, the weather, uh, you know, th these are all things that influence people, all these externalities that, that uh, positively and sometimes negatively influence people. Uh, you can't ignore them and you, you can't ignore the impact they have on the family. Mm -hmm. So, so whenever, whenever we're moving anyone into town or moving anyone around, uh, I, I reflect back to what, what did I moved out here when my, uh, with my wife and my one-year-old. So we had, we had a lot, we had a lot going on where we had been really, you know, we were both born and raised in the, in the New Jersey area. So all our friends, my wife had gone to school in the, in the Northeast at Rutgers. So so like all of the extended family, all of the high school friends, all of her college friends were all where we lived or around where we lived. And then we left all of that. And when you leave that, you, you leave your support system, Absolutely. right? You leave, you leave your, you know, your babysitters, you leave your weekend softball team, you, right? you leave, you leave the, uh, the high school friends that you go out on one day and then the college friends. So, uh, so when that happens with our employees, I, uh, we're extra sensitive to creating support systems around what does the family need? And sometimes that includes, uh, is the spouse work, is the partner working? And what can we- How it happens so much anymore though because of everyone working remotely yeah so i guess it's a quite a rare thing to happen now yeah i i think uh i mean we're still experiencing it we're you know we were we're recruiting uh, we're recruiting in one of our other businesses uh you know people who want to just get out of atlanta and uh relocate to san diego they're going on a life's journey and the and both both of the the husband and wife are working and the husband you know wants to come work you know with the gold business and the, the wife's an attorney and we're, you know, we're going to open up our networks to, to try and make that, uh, you know, try and make introductions for the, the, the partner to find employment uh, one way or another in San Diego. So, yeah, it is a little bit easier to keep that job when you move from one city to another. Uh, but what, you know, to, to quote this, this individual, like they, they, they want to go into an office and they want to be around people and they are young and they are creating their social and, and professional networks. And I think it's sometimes lost on, on some employers that, you know, whether they're trying to channel their 22 year old version of themselves or whether they're channeling their 52 year old, you know, you know version of their leadership style. Uh, I mean, my, my, my older son is 25 years old and, and he recently relocated to New York City, um, you know, because he wanted to go into an office and he wanted to work with his colleagues and he wanted to, you know, be there when the, when senior management showed up to buy everybody lunch. And, 
And those are learning and networking opportunities that that I that this remote work is is not providing in in some cases to to a lot of the employers. And I think we're all going to get the bill for that. Absolutely. And uh, and and we're not going to like the bill. Mm-hmm. And and the bill's not going to have you know we're not going to have as well connected employees. We're not going to have as loyal employees. And that doesn't mean you rush everybody back to the office, but it does mean that you 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 definitely proactively figure out ways to congregate. Where would you like to see us in, in five years time? Where are you going? Are you wanting to grow even bigger and at a pace as you have been over the last two years? Or are you okay settling with what you've got and concentrating on what you've got for now? Uh, I can't tell you on the growth side, I think, uh, but I can tell you on the five-year side. So mm-hmm. as, as you've made some kind remarks, uh, we've been recognized in the States as the best student loan program. Uh, and and one of the best places to work by uh, American Bankers Association ranked us the second best fintech in the country. In San Diego, we've been ranked consistently one of the best places to work through independent mm-hmm. surveying. So, um, so, so six years was can we be can we create the best student loan program uh, you know available to the most schools and the most students? And 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 I'm excited that the answer. I mean, we still got a lot of work to do, but the answer is yes, mm-hmm. as rated by NerdWallet, U.S. News, Money Magazine, Forbes. So. Uh, so, so the product is working. Uh, we're the only lender at scale lending to DACA students, uh, uh, Dreamer students without a co-signer going to four-year schools or coding boot camps, mm-hmm. leading lender in the adult learner space. Uh, we work with over 150 schools that are training people to get jobs and earn a living wage and, and better. Uh, and and, uh, and we, we, we cover uh, a, a lot of other skills training programs. In five years, we don't want to be known as the the best student loan company. We want to be known as the best student success company. Wow. So, so, so we believe that students need more than just money to succeed. And mm-hmm. uh, ultimately they need a job and they need to acquire all the skills, both academic and self-care and financial wellness in order to be a well-adjusted employee who knows, you know, kind of how to manage their lives. And, and so we've, uh, unlike some of uh, our competitors who focus on the parents or you know, the 28 year old grad student who's got a good job and an MBA and whatnot, we're focused on the 18 to 28 year olds because they're, it's a very formative stage that we think uh, the relationship that we're creating, sometimes we're the first time this student has ever borrowed money. So, uh, so, so we want to teach them inside of our application, we teach them, we, we give them a financial wellness test. And uh, if they fail, they have to go take 20 minutes of training and then come back and take the test again. And if they fail it, we just don't give them a loan. Mm-hmm. And people hear that. They're like, wait, you paid for the lead. You paid to run credit. You paid to have this, th- these learnings. And then you're not going to make the loan. We're like, yeah, that's the principle we stand on. If you, if you aren't financially well, you shouldn't borrow money, even if it costs us money. So uh, it's been a, so, so we've used that as really the, the first you know, major effort to prove that we could teach students financial wellness. And now we're moving to academic self-care and job readiness. So, so, uh, so what we want in five years are employers to be calling us and saying, hey, the people who work with Ascent are really, really well-balanced young adults. Who, who else are you working with? Like we would, we would like to get access to, to market to your, your graduates and, and then I'll know we've made it. So how big are we at that point? I think we're gonna keep growing. Hey guys, it's me again. If you enjoyed this episode of the show, be sure to press the thumbs up button below. And also, while you're there, hit subscribe. Otherwise, you can miss out on all of our interesting content we've got coming your way in the near future. Okay, guys, take care and see you soon.